the roll and go. Where am I to go, meet Johnny? Where am I to go? For I'm a young and a sailor lad, and where am I to go? Hello, and welcome to Where Am I to Go podcast. Today, before we start the show, I would like to bring up some business things that have kind of been on my mind so that you can know where to get more Where Am I to Go. First off, I'd like to talk about the Facebook page at Where Am I to Go podcast. It's on Facebook, and we've been posting some wonderful pictures of some of the places that we've been and some of the adventures that we've had. Not everything that we go and do is made into a podcast and so we take pictures at different places and post those pictures so that you guys can enjoy some of the different places we've been. Also I really am interested in listener feedback. I have an email address at where am I to go podcast at gmail.com. Again that is where am I to go podcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear some of the listeners' comments and some of their ideas of places that might be interesting to visit and go and do. I'm on kind of a limited travel schedule as far as uh, the way that I travel and where I go, but if there's something extremely interesting, I would definitely do my best to build a trip around it. And the last thing, and and the latest thing, is that I now have a Patreon account where if you want to hear the podcast early you can go to patreon forward slash lauren alberts sign up for three five ten whatever dollars if you were willing to support what i do and help us with our travel expenses and some of that kind of stuff i would greatly greatly appreciate it but what we're going to do is right now i have several podcasts that are banked i guess you could say I'm on, I think, number 17, 18, 19, somewhere in there, and I've got close to 35 that I have waiting to go out. I only put out about every week because I want to be able to keep a nice steady stream and not have a point in time when we have to shut down like a lot of other podcasts do for season one, season two. I'd like to keep this thing going year-round. And I've been traveling quite a bit and have been hitting quite a few interesting places. We've been to a tattoo museum. We've been to the beach and have gone to several uh, tourist attractions there, an underground tour. We did a cannery tour. We've just done all kinds of things, and I would love for you to be able to hear those early. So if you sign up with the Patreon, as soon as my editor Steve gets these things ready to go out, they will be put up on the Patreon page. And again, I would really appreciate your support. Now that I've got those things out of the way, I hope to hear from you and I hope you keep on listening. And now let's get on with the podcast. Today we are in Midwest Wyoming, which is about 30 miles north of Casper. It's an oil field, oil town. Uh, I just, I don't know what to say about it. I've never been to Midwest. We are here with Everett at the Salt Creek Museum, which is, I guess it's an oil field museum, but I'm sure seeing a lot of other stuff here. It sits right next to the Midwest Town Hall and the police station, and I thought that it was just a small little building. We come walking up here, and the first thing we see 
is about a six foot piece of wooden water pipe. I have seen little pieces, never a piece that size, and it's sitting right out here on the on the front as you come on in. And once I get inside, I see oil field stuff, I see Boy Scout stuff, I see license plates from way back in Wyoming history. I see old wash tubs, and th this is going to be a fascinating museum. I can tell that already. And Everett is more than eager to come down here and open up. I think that the museum isn't open all the time, but you are on call and will be down here at a moment's call. Is that correct, that, Everett? Yep, that is correct. Uh, I work full-time, and uh, but there's a number you can call, 307-258-9396. Uh, and that rings straight into my cell phone. And uh, if you want to see the museum, if you're standing at the door and call me, I'll be here in three minutes. If you want to make a, a, an appointment for some day in the future, we can set that up at that time. That is awesome. I called Everett tonight at 5 o'clock. I was doing a museum in KC, Wyoming, and I called him up at 4.58. I says, I see that you're by appointment. Is there any possibility we can do this tonight? He says, I need to go home and feed my cows. I'll see you at 5.30. So here we are, 5.30 at night. Everett has made his, his self available and we are going to go through this museum. I can hardly wait because, like I said, it looks small. I have not walked through it yet, but I think we are in for a treat. I hope so. I hope so. Um, like you mentioned, this is the Salt Creek Oil Field Museum. So this is a museum about the Salt Creek Oil Field. Uh, we do have some information on the Teapot Dome Oil Field, which, which adjoins this field. And... Uh, if, if you know much about your history, you'll know about the Teapot Dome scandal. Well, the, tell us about it so that if I don't know my history, I will. Okay, the Teapot <laughs> Dome scandal was the biggest scandal, political scandal, uh, to ever hit the United States. And it just about took down a presidency. If President Harding hadn't have passed away from a heart attack, he would have probably been imprisoned like everybody else that was involved. Um, Albert B. Fall was the Secretary of the Interior at the time. And uh, he was as crooked as the day is long. And he and Harry Sinclair made a under-the-table deal to kick everybody out of the uh, teapot dome and then lease it, lease it only to Sinclair. And uh, anyway, they got found out. And uh, Albert Fall and Sinclair both spent time in prison over the deal. Now, is Sinclair the same Sinclair that has all the Sinclair dinosaur? It uh, is. It is. It's the same outfit. Yep. Okay. The and they've got a big refinery here in Wyoming in Sinclair, in Wyoming, Sinclair, which Wyoming. is named after him, I guess. Yes, it is. There's a Sinclair refinery in Casper also. So he must have done all right once he got back out once, of prison. Once he got out, yeah. They, they didn't get him for the bribery and all that kind of stuff to trying to get the teapot dome. He, they got him for tax evasion. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so he only spent, I think it was six months in prison. Okay. But uh, Albert Fall also was making deals with a uh, another oil man uh, who uh, uh, made the uh, Pan Am Oil Company. And uh, uh, he, Albert Fall, was leasing the petroleum reserves in California to this other fellow. And the other fellow never did spend any time in prison, but they, they just couldn't prove that he's the one that gave Albert Fall the money. 
Now, was the Pan Am Oil Company involved with the Pan Am Airlines also, uh, or no. two different companies? Uh, two different companies, yeah. Yeah, okay. two different companies. Uh, Pan Am was eventually bought out by Sinclair. Okay. And uh, and about what years are we, uh, talking, we're talking about with the Teapot Dome the Scandal? The Teapot Dome Scandal was 1923. Okay. And uh, that, that's when it happened. And uh, uh, so, uh, and uh, the... The oil field is really getting ramped up about 1910, and uh, and so so that's when there was a lot of speculation going on, and and a lot of these under the table deals were started happening about then. 1910 was about the time that the Navy was trying was in the process of converting all of their ships from coal to oil fired, and so there was a big rush to try to get as much oil out of the ground as possible and sell it to the Navy. The Teapot Dome eventually became the Naval Petroleum Reserve number three. And uh, the two in California wow. were number one and number two. There was also one in Alaska, which was number four. Okay, now about that same time, and I'm not sure of my time frames, Rockefeller was big time with uh, uh, Monopoly and some of that type of stuff. Now, was this? It, was he involved in any of this stuff in any way, or, or um, was that where the monopolies already broke up, or, or no, where were we at there? Um, the Rockefeller monopolies were were mostly railroads and industry, and uh, whereas uh, the the oil industry was kind of separate. Uh, okay, so but what about Standard? Wasn't he Standard or not? I, I may be all yeah. wrong with my, with my history. Uh -huh. I, I don't know. I'm just yeah. I'm asking questions. Yes, yes. Because... Rockefeller was was Standard Oil. Okay, but he wasn't involved here. Okay, uh, there there, uh, Stanland eventually came into the field, but that was a few years down the road. Okay, uh, you know af after the Midwest Oil Company was formed and, <clears throat> and that type of thing, then Standard came in and started sucking stuff up. Yeah. Okay, I just wasn't uh -huh. sure kind of timeline how yeah. the monopolies and uh -huh. all of that worked in yeah. uh, to the whole deal. Now, the, the Teapot Dome scandal, uh, was it a Supreme Court case or it was, it, where, where did it go or how did it, it, how it, did it evolve? It, it went through Congress. Okay. And it, there's congressional hearings and, and uh, everything like that and uh, subpoenas. And, and uh, there's a book out there. I've got a copy of it, but I... I haven't read all of it, but it's the transcript of all these hearings. And so if you ever really having a hard time sleeping some night, just get a hold of that book and you'll be asleep in five minutes. It's pretty uh, interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah. It'll, it'll hold you right there, yeah, for a good five minutes. But uh, uh, there's there's lots of books out there on the Teapot Dome scandal. And uh, I, I really, really encourage you to uh, find one and, and uh, look into that because it was really a, a, a dark, dark time in in American political history. Uh, the Harding administration was one of the most corrupt administrations there has ever been. Uh, quite a few of, of his cabinet members and stuff uh, eventually all spent time in prison over just shady deals huh. through, through that. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And so was, you said we were at Teapot Dome and the other oil field was? Uh, we're in Salt Creek Dome. Well, we're in Salt Creek. Okay. Yeah, and and Teapot And next. Teapot is the so next So was one Salt over. Creek involved in the Teapot Dome scandal no, also? Or? No, it wasn't. Um, there's, uh, uh, there was a guy who worked for the Midwest Oil Company, saw this coming. And so he wrote, he did all kinds of uh, uh, research and wrote a book. His name was uh, Harold D. Roberts. 
and uh, he wrote the book Salt Creek. Uh, and that book was was in nineteen twenty three or this, so. This was written in nineteen fifty four. Okay, but uh, Harold Roberts was uh, out here with the Midwest Oil Company, uh, the beginning of time, basically, and he was an attorney for the oil company, and uh, he uh, he did all the research about the claims and everything out here, who claimed what, when, and, and all that kind of thing. And he had it all listed out so that if Fall and St. Clair tried to come in and take this field, which they had planned on doing, uh, he had the legal paperwork to show that, no, they can't just kick everybody out, that some of these claims went back to the 1800s. So he he was pretty solid on that. Okay. So that's that's why... You know, a lot of the same people were involved in the Teapot Dome as Salt Creek, but the same thing didn't happen at Salt Creek because of Harold D. Roberts. Okay. Well, that's cool to know. Yeah. And so these these oil fields, both of these, are they in the same formation? The um, Basically, the, the, the Salt Creek oil field sits in the Salt Creek Dome, and the Teapot Dome field sits in the Teapot Dome although the teapot dome is in the Salt Creek anticline. It's just another dome in the same anticline as what this field is in. Okay, now explain a dome to me because I don't really understand that. Okay, a dome is where the, uh, where the ground was uh, pushed up from underneath, pressure underneath, um, and, uh, and it, it just domes up like okay. a bowl sitting upside down. And that's what the teapot or the Salt Creek dome particularly looks like. And... Uh, and as it domes up, then it, the, the pressure and everything like that just pushes all the oil from around up to the top of this dome. So they're shallow wells. Then. Yes, yeah. Yeah, our average production depth here at Salt Creek is only 1,700 feet. Wow. Uh, and we do have operating wells that are only 900 feet deep. Really? Yeah, so it's a really shallow field here. Teapot Dome is a little deeper because it's on the, on the anticline. Okay. If I could draw you a picture of how the anticline runs, um, it's it's farther down down slope of the of how this whole thing just lifted up. But really productive fields. Uh, Teapot Dome never did produce as well as Salt Creek. Okay. Salt Creek at one time was the largest light oil producing field in the world. Okay. And the Teapot Dome never did uh, produce as well. Um, I don't believe it ever really had the potential to produce like Salt Creek did. But uh, it, it, it did very well, although it was shut in from 1923 to 1978. You the, mean shut in? Yeah, I mean the Navy shut it off. Oh, because it was a reserve? Because it was a reserve, yeah. Okay. Yep, they just shut it in and no production was made during those times. And Teapot Dome, the same thing? That That is Teapot Dome. Oh, that is Teapot Dome. Yeah. Salt Creek was still operating. Salt Creek is running wide open, yep. Okay. All, yep, all this time Salt Creek's been running wide open. Salt Creek is still... At, today, Salt Creek is making a little over 11,000 barrels of oil a day. Uh, and uh, the peak production was in 1925, and that was 157,000 barrels of oil a day. Wow. It, uh, it, it was a screamer. It was a screamer. Up until about 1920, pretty much every well that was ever drilled out here was a gusher. Huh. I mean, they just blew. And now, is this a really old oil field, or this this is a pretty old oil field? Uh, the Discovery Well was drilled in 1908 okay. by the Dutch company, and uh, uh, the Stock Boys 
Daddy Stock and James Stock are the ones that drilled it, and that was a discovery well in 1908. They had drilled one in 1906 and missed the first wall creek formation by 100 feet uh, because the hole went crooked and they couldn't get it back. So, so yeah, it's it's 112 years old. And it's still pumping oil. And we're still making oil, yeah. Cool. And uh, uh, we're under a CO2 flood now where we're actually pressurizing a formation back to where it was before it was uh, ever drilled into. And so all the wells out here flow again now. Wow. Whereas they were pumped from uh, the uh, 20s up until uh, about 2004, 2005, when they started injecting CO2, they were pumping the wells, all, all of them out here, all 5,000 of them. 5,000? There's about 5,000 wells in this field, yes. In, in the this, Salt Creek field? In, in Salt Creek alone. Salt Creek's five miles wide and nine miles long. Wow. There's a lot of wells out here. That's a lot of wells. Yeah. And yeah. Teapot Dome, same type of scenario? Um, no, they as... don't have near as many wells out there. Uh, there's, uh, the, the, the central part of the dome is pretty well drilled out, but uh, uh, I don't think they have more than about 1,500 wells. Okay. Mm-hmm. Boy, that's just a lot of, a that, lot of pumps. That, a lot of maintenance. They, they must have a pretty good crew running around yeah. taking care of things. Yeah, yeah there is. There's, there's, a, there's miles and hundreds of miles of pipe in the ground and and wells to take care of and everything. Wow. Yeah, it kind of amazes me. I always knew Midwest was, was someplace close to Casper. I thought it was a little uh, suburb of Casper, but oh, uh-huh. being where it is, I'd never driven out this way to see anything. Yeah. Okay, now you got a, a shovel up here with a handle on it. It's about 12 foot long. Uh-huh. Okay. That's, that's, that's for digging a deep ditch. <laughs> <laughs> These two actually went together, and they're called the banjo and a spoon, and uh, these were used to dig power pole holes. Okay. Before they had big digger trucks and stuff like that, these guys would stand up there and dig a hole in the ground and scoop the dirt out with that. And uh, this, this so, um, you know, in the twenties when they were out here building power power lines, this is what they they used to put them in with. Wow. That is really cool. Yeah, this this handle here used to be that long also. Oh, so so the the yeah it's the digger off. shovel was twelve feet long. So they put them things down that deep. Yeah. Uh huh. I did not realize yeah. that. Had to be some tough buggers back in yep, the day, that's right. didn't they? Yeah. I'm sure that the soil is just all soft and oh, sandy right. too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. quite the deal yeah. there. Yeah. Mostly the soil out here is blue shale. And so it's a little tough to dig through, trust me. And then you've got a bunch of pictures here on the wall. The, the, this, was there a refinery here? Uh, no, this was, this was a light plant. The Midwest Oil Company built a light plant to power the field. This is the first elect, fully electrified field, oil field in the world. Oh, really? And uh, Midwest Oil Company uh, built this, uh, this power plant, and uh, it was uh, gas-fired steam turbines. Okay. Okay. So the gas that was produced from the field went out to the light plant and was burned to, to make steam to turn the turbines. The turbines were turned to make electricity to pump the oil and get the gas out of the ground to fire the power plant. And so it was kind of a almost self-sufficient thing. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say uh, almost perpetual motion. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. And so, so how did they separate the gas 
from the oil. You're talking natural gas, of Yeah, course. natural gas. Uh -huh. And so they, they were able to separate the two as it was coming out of the well? Um, in, in big tanks. These, okay. all, all these wells pumped into big tanks, and they, they just uh, took the gas. You know, the gas off would the, float to the top, and they just suck the gas off the top and then skim the oil out of the middle of the tank and ship it down the pipeline. Okay, and what happened to the power plant? Um, the reservoir uh, silted in. And so it wouldn't hold enough water to be right. able to run the, the steam generators. And uh, so, so they uh, shut the power plant in, and, and then we hooked into the uh, regional power system, okay. uh, Pacific Power. Mm -hmm. huh. And so is the building still standing? The, bu or is it the building is still standing, yeah. And it's a gorgeous building. Uh, I mean, you can just, yeah. you know, it's just gorgeous. Of course, the stacks aren't there. Most of the windows are broke out. Um, the rancher owns it right now, and he uses it for a loafing shed and hay storage. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. And, but uh, they've got pictures here of, of when it was up and running and the turbines and all of that kind of stuff. Man, that's just, that's fascinating. Yeah. A little bit of history there. Yeah, yeah they, uh, they formed a, a power company uh, also, the Midwest Oil Company did, to be able to sell electricity to the non-Midwest Oil Company uh, plants and uh, camps and and uh, towns around here and everything like that too, so. Wow, <coughs> that is that is really interesting. Yeah. That's yeah. that's really cool. Okay, we come back into this room. You've got an old lithograph machine. Yep, for making copies. Yep this this is a 1974 model of the AB Dick uh, mimeograph machine, and this is a 1910 model of an AB Dick mimeograph machine. They don't really look all that much different, other than the 1910 one's a little bit bigger. Yeah, a little bit bigger and a little, I mean, it's a little more, I mean, you can see the mechanics of, of this yeah. uh, quite a bit more. But, uh, yeah. And yeah. then you've got a, somewhat of a military display. Right. We, uh, we're sure proud of our military folk, and uh, so uh, we try to honor them every time we get a chance. But, yeah, we've got some, some military stuff here, not a lot. Right. But, uh, uh, yeah, we've got some Navy uh, uniforms, uniforms that were worn by a couple of guys uh, from here. Um, and uh, the grandson of, of the, the older fellow uh, donated those to the museum. And uh, they're, they're really a treasure. They're really a treasure. They were both in the Navy. And then the helmet that has 1918 on it, so yep. that must be World War One. That was World War One. And then you've uh -huh. got a bugle and uh -huh. a couple of... Uh, of medals, yep, yeah, we and got certificates, uh huh, yeah, and then looks then, like a couple of fire nozzles. Yep, yeah, that uh, fire nozzle uh, actually I found uh, down in where the town of Columbine was, and uh, I was laying in a in a uh, in a draw, and I I dug it out of the side of the bank down there, and uh, Columbine was uh, a town. Uh, in the field just south of here, about four miles. And uh, anyway, they had their, their own fire department and everything down there. And uh, uh, it's it's a ghost town now. Is there still buildings there? Uh, no, there's no buildings. Uh, there's a few foundations left around. Uh, one thing to think about that uh, is when this, when this field was uh, being built up and the oil companies were building camps for their employees, they were building houses for the uh, for their employees to live in because they wanted to bring these employees to bring their families out here because a family man is much more apt to be a good worker 
than some young buck that just wants to run off and, and get drunk every night. And uh, so they were building these houses for them, and these camps were built to last 20 years. So the houses were just set on timbers. They just lay down some timbers and build a house on it. And uh, most of the houses here in Midwest are still that way. Most of really? them still just have a timber uh, foundation under them. And, uh, wow. And, you know, they're 100 years old. Uh, and they, that's, that's here in the town. That's here in the town of Midwest, uh-huh. Yep. And so Midwest at one point in time was uh, was just a company town. It was a company town. Yep, exactly. <clears throat> now, is it still company owns a lot of places here still? Uh, no, no. It's all been private? It's all been privatized. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, Amico, when they had the field, they decided they were tired of being in a uh, town business. So they sold the houses and, and they formed a city government here and everything like that. So Okay. Uh-huh. Now I'm looking at a piece in this in this cabinet. He's got a cabinet that has a bunch of uh, rocks, uh, petrified sto- uh, trees, and oh, there's a petrified leaf. Yeah, and some other ammonites and and just lots of neat uh, rocks. But he's got a purse that looks like it's made out of chainmail. What is that? A purse made out of chainmail? It is. That's what. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. Wow. I have never seen anything like that. Ruth White gave measuring tape and metal purse in 1910. Yeah. Or, or the circa is 1910. Circa 1910. Uh-huh. But that's I've exactly what it is. I've never seen a metal purse. That, that's a really cool piece. Isn't that neat? We're looking at a purse that has a, a arch for the top that's made out of steel, and then into it is a bunch of chain mail, and the purse is probably eight inches long, and four or five inches wide, has a little chain on it. It's just a really neat little purse. <laughs> You'd be able to see everything that was in it. It's a pretty tight chain mail. But, uh, wow, that is that is really, really cool. And here's an, an 1854 saddle Bible. and you For can, carrying in your saddle? For in your carrying saddle in saddlebags, saddle yep. 1854. Yeah, and... and uh, it's what three inches wide and five inches tall, right? And uh, about two inches thick. About two inches thick. Is that Old and New Testament, or this? This is this is a King James version. Wow, Old and New Testament. And I'll tell you, you better have a magnifying glass or some really good eyes because that writing is small. Yeah, that would be terrible. To try to read by campfire light, huh? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah it would never happen. Yeah. I don't know. Reading it by sunlight, you'd have to have it three inches from your eyes. Yeah, that's right. That's amazing. Yeah. It's really that interesting. really cool. Yeah. I wonder what kind of press that they would have made that off of. Ah, that's, that's a good question. Because but, I, I don't know what kind of presses they had in the 18, in 1854, 1850s, but, yeah. but you would have thought that, well, just trying to set that type exactly. in the old printing presses exactly. would have been quite difficult. Yeah, it would have. Wow. Yes, sir. And then you've got a case here with a bunch of petroleum-related items. You've got a hard hat. You've got some oil uh, cans. Cans. You've got some old oil uh, matchbox car-type things. And a fire. Pictures of an oil tank fire. Holy smokes. Yeah, that was... Those, was that here? No, those pictures are were, uh, from when the uh, refinery, uh, the oil... Uh, the uh, tank farm in Casper burned, and uh, they it was lightning struck, 
and lightning, I believe, struck two of the tanks, set them on fire, and those fires jumped over, jumped the, over to the next. That one picture, I see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven tanks, and we're talking 80,000-gallon tanks. 80,000 barrel 80,000 barrel. Not ga- How many gallons are in a barrel? 42. 42 gallons in a barrel. Yeah. 80,000... Oh, <laughs> yeah. How many days did that burn? You know, I don't remember. It was a long time, though. There, there just smokes. wasn't much they could do about it. Uh, back, oh. back in those days, they Adding didn't have Adding water the, just makes it float. Yeah, that's right. And run down the sides. They didn't have the chemical foams and stuff that we do today to put them out. I'm not sure how they did it. I, I really don't. That is just amazing. And to lose yeah. that much oil. Yeah. yeah, that's right. I mean, that had to have been devastating to yep. whatever company... Yeah, that that was the Franco refinery, and uh, so wow, yeah, that is just, and it had to have melted the the metal as it as it burned yeah, down. Yeah, to where, as you can see, this tank here, you can see it's starting to crater on the right hand side yeah. over there, starting to just sag down, and they just collapse in on themselves. The, well, yeah, they'd cl- but the oil would spill out and just the fire would just spread, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yep, they had they had big berms up around them. Okay. To, to, to contain them. But, uh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, there's 42 barrels of oil, or there's 42 gallons of oil in a barrel, but there's 48 gallons of water in a barrel. And uh, that was, that six-gallon difference um, actually came from the Salt Creek oil field. They would fill an actual barrel with oil here, put it on a wagon, and haul it to Casper. Well, by the time they got it to Casper, there's only 42 gallons in it. So there's this big upset about, okay, you're not sending us 48 gallons of oil. Well, it's the evaporation and the and the light ends flashing off the, the really? natural gas coming out of it, and so the so the oil kind of contracts on itself, and so that's the basis, that's the standard in the oil industry now came from Salt Creek. Okay. When, when they were and what's a gallon of oil weigh? I know a gallon of of water is eight pounds. Uh, a gallon of oil weighs about six pounds. About six pounds. Yeah. Okay. Uh huh. So they couldn't weigh it. I mean, yeah, you couldn't do it by weight. Uh huh. You had to do it by volume. Uh huh. And and just between here and Casper. Yeah. It lost it lost the six gallons. Yeah. Of course. Now we're talking. We did this in a wagon. Right. With, with no roads, and it would take them three or four days to get it. Well, not only like, that, it'd be sloshing, it'd be sloshing and, bouncing and bouncing and everything else, yeah, and breaking that gas out of the liquids, yeah, that's exactly right. I'm learning a ton here. <laughs> now, fine. if I can just retain half of what I'm learning, but this, <laughs> no, I'm finding this totally fascinating. This yeah. is, okay, and then over here, you've got some different household items. You've got an old Singer treadle machine and a washboard and uh, an electric Singer and a... Uh, those are for pressing clothes. Exactly, yeah. But and I don't know what the thing's called. Yeah, it's, it's easy. That's it's, that's it's, what it is, is easy. It's an easy brand of <laughs> uh, clothes press. Okay. It, and this one here, this is a big one. Um, and this came out of the uh, hotel that was here in town. And this was used to press linens. Oh, okay. The, the bed sheets and uh, towels and all that kind of stuff. This smaller one here is a home version of it. Okay. And uh, uh, I remember growing up as a kid over in Ten Sleep. My grandmother had one of these in the living room. Okay. And she took in laundry and stuff like that. My and next door neighbor had one. Uh, the next door neighbor's, uh, my next door neighbor friend's dad was a milkman. Oh. Uh-huh. And of course, his clothes all had to be pressed oh, sure. for delivery and sure. all that. Now, did they have pressed clothes for 
all of the oil workers too? I mean, um, were they were they in a uniform? Or? No, no, they they just they wore what they could buy. And uh, but the the press clothes and that type of thing were were for the uh, engineers and the right. foremans and you know the higher ups in the in the companies and that type of thing. Well, it just amazes uh -huh. me when I look at old magazines. You got an old uh, Mechanics Illustrated magazine, uh -huh. and they show the guy wearing his suit, working with with and a tie, working with a lathe. Exactly, and you're going. Yes. What kind of an idiot wears a tie to a to a right. uh, machine shop? Exactly. Yeah. But uh, they must have done it, or else they just posed for pictures. Yeah. I don't know, but yeah. I didn't know if the oil uh -huh. field was a little bit more lax that way. Or... Yeah. Uh, no, we've we've got pictures of some of the engineers and stuff like that out here in the field, and yes, they have a suit and tie, and and uh, you know, crisp uh, creases in their uh, slacks and everything like that. They, but they were working in the, in the office. Yep. Pretty much. Didn't have to worry about getting oil stains. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And then you've got a really nice display of old cameras. Yeah. Then clocks and baseball gloves. Boy, some of those baseball gloves or softball, maybe, huh. uh, you got a couple yeah. old softballs, but those have to be really old. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, 1920s maybe. Yep. yep, particularly the one on the left there. Uh huh. Uh, it was a fielder's mitt, and the one on the right was a catcher's mitt, and uh, they are old. The uh, oil companies uh, back in the 20s, um, they had uh, they they all fielded a baseball team, and uh, it was quite a rivalry between the oil companies. There was 53 different operators out here in, in uh, uh, prior to 1934. Here in the here in Salt Creek Field, really, just in this field, fifty-three different operators. Yeah, and uh, they all fielded a baseball team, and uh, there was quite a competition. And uh, some of the uh, uh, more unscrupulous uh, oil companies, to play on these teams, you had to be an employee of the company. Okay. Okay. So some of these oil companies were hiring professional baseball players as clerks or. <laughs> <laughs> gophers or something like that right. so, so that they were playing on these baseball teams and and uh so yeah the uh the, the baseball field was uh uh down underneath the hill here by the creek and and uh yeah they fielded quite quite the teams back then now did they have basketball teams and some of that also yeah they did i know and, that uh -huh. i know that a, a lot of the oil well not oil fields just companies uh -huh. that, that were around had different basketball teams right. or Yep. or some of that type of stuff. Yeah, that, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and you know, in the twenty, the, like I was saying, the uh, the oil companies were really trying to get married men to bring their families here. Well, when they brought their families here, they had to give something for the families to do. They couldn't just sit in a little two room shack all day long, all night long, waiting for the husband to come home. So the the oil companies, and particularly the Midwest Oil Company. Uh, built hotels and restaurants and beauty parlors and game halls and uh, a theater, a big, huge theater, a gorgeous theater, and uh, churches and uh, drugstores and just everything. Anything that somebody could get in San Francisco, they could get in Salt Creek also. Wow. Uh, fresh oysters and uh, seafoods and everything like that were shipped in on the train. Isn't it amazing to, th to, to look at the town now? And I'm not talking just Midwest. I'm talking every town in the state. Grable, Wyoming, uh -huh. where I live, is uh -huh. the same thing. You know, I mean, Empire Oil was there, uh -huh. and there was a bowling alley. There was all kinds of things. And yeah. now these communities have nothing. Right. I mean, they really do it. When they say there's nothing to do, 
they're not really joking, but back in the 20s, they had everything. They had everything, yeah. The, <clears throat> and it's really interesting to see the old pictures of the mm-hmm. main streets in these towns. Yeah. And now they're basically, I won't say they're ghost towns, but you know, Walmart's 50 miles away, 30 miles away. Exactly. And people don't shop local, and they they have kind of ruined their own towns. Exactly. I, I guess uh-huh. you could say that, but... You, Mm-hmm. But not just that, we don't have the social structure that we had at that time. Churches are failing, mm-hmm. uh, lodges are failing, you know, the Masonic lodges and the Elks and the Lions and all yeah. of those are, are dwindling down to yeah. nothing. Yeah, we used to have Boy Scouts and Cub Scouts and everything out here, you know, years ago when, when I first came here and stuff, and there's not that anymore. You know, even the 4-H is, is inactive out here anymore. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, in our area too, uh-huh. you know, the 4-H isn't inactive, but it's just not... It's not booming. Right, right. You know, uh-huh. and uh, I saw all of your, you, you had a really nice Boy Scout display out mm-hmm. there with some, I'm sure that they were 1930s, 1940s yep. patches and uh-huh. uniforms. And, yep. and some of that stuff was pretty cool too. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. yeah. Another thing that the, oops, we're okay. the, uh, the oil companies did, um, you know, back in the 20s uh, to keep, everybody happy and content and wanting to stay here they uh <coughs> they built uh golf courses and tennis courts and swimming pools and everything like that there were seven golf courses out here really yeah and uh well i know. guess you had a lot of holes you had 5000 <laughs> holes to hit balls <laughs> down <laughs> very true <laughs> But uh, and you can check the well and play golf. And there you go. Yeah, chip one over to the next well. And that's right. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, the major, the major camps, the big camps, all had a, had a golf course, and uh, tennis courts, and uh, basketball courts, like you were mentioning, and uh, there was swimming pools all through the field wow. um, that were uh, uh, supplied by hot water wells here in the field. And uh, so I was were... just going to ask: Were they supplied by water coming out of the ground? Yep. yep. Smelled yeah. a little bit like sulfur. Exactly. You, you bet. <laughs> but it was still warm. It was. It was warm. It's the same water basically as what's over in Thermopolis. Okay. And uh, we've got artesian wells out here, and uh, uh, yeah, they had all these swimming pools and everything. Uh, one of the things about the the golf courses that that I think is just funny as heck is that you know during during that time in the twenties and stuff the uh, uh, fashion for women uh, playing golf was with, you know, full-length long skirts, I mean, ankle-length skirts and everything. Right. And uh, so they would be playing out there. Well, the oil field didn't shut down because you wanted to play golf. And uh, there was a, a system of pumping that was called a, a central power. And it was a, a central unit with a like a bull wheel on a, uh, on a concentric that had rods, and these rods ran across the ground on posts about two feet high, uh-huh. and uh, they they would just go back and forth across these rods to pump a well over there. So we just went and did a, a hit and miss motor uh, uh, gathering uh-huh. in Twin Falls, Idaho. Really, and mm-hmm. they were talking about one of these old pumpers that did that, uh-huh. and they were talking about how it had its central uh-huh. space and it would pump out, you yeah. know, yeah. two three miles. Right. They were saying right. to pump the different oil wells. Yeah. But they had one of those hit and miss motors out there running. Really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, the old Ajax. Now, are, are are they still using the hit and miss motors in this field? 
Not in this field, no. We're all electrified here now. Okay. Yeah. I have a friend that, that uh, works for a fairly large oil company, and uh -huh. he was doing roustabout service while he was in co uh, college, uh -huh. getting his geology degree, and he was just telling me that a lot of those wells in Oklahoma and stuff are still run with the hit-and-miss motors. That's right, yeah. On a cold, clear night here, <clears throat> see, there's there's some small oil fields right around this one. Okay. On a cold, clear night, if you step outside, you can hear those things running out. So they're uh, still west. so they're still using them. They're still using them outside of this field. There's a, a little private field just west of here, and really? you, you can hear it out there popping and banging away all night long. And now, are, are, do those have the long rods also? No, they, or? no, there's a single engine on a single unit. Okay. Uh -huh. yeah, yeah, that was just fascinating to me. Yeah. I had no idea that they that they would run rods from, from uh -huh. a stationary motor to yeah. be able to pump yeah. ten or twelve or fifteen or yeah. whatever wells. Where's it at? Okay, right we're standing in another room that yeah. has several pictures on the wall. He's looking for one in particular, but this room is full of different uh, post hole diggers. And what is this? This is a centrifugal. This is a centrifuge. Yeah, this is what we use to. Uh, they call it grind out um, an oil sample. <laughs> and what we're looking at here is something with a hand crank with two glass bulbs in it mm -hmm. that fit down inside of a funnel. Uh -huh. And when the hand crank is turned, this thing's going to spin at a high rate of speed. It's it's geared. And those little funnels go out vertical yeah, or out horizontal. Out horizontal. They, sit hor they sit vertical, and then as you spin it, they go out horizontal in order to separate... Separate oil from water. Uh, the... See, to, to, be, to be pipeline uh, grade oil, there can only be three-tenths of one percent BS&W. And BS&W stands for bad stuff in water. Okay. Or another right. word for right, BS. Stuff. Uh -huh. Yeah, okay. And, uh, and so that's what this, is, this was used for, is to spin out your oil samples to see if it was pipeline grade. If not, you recycled it and and uh, knocked more water and BS and stuff out of it. But yeah, this is a this is a manual centrifuge to uh, to to sample that oil with. That is really cool. Yeah. Again, I've never seen one of those. And what um, is this little furnace thing? Um, it's got a thermometer on it. It looks like a little stove that's probably eight uh -huh. inches high, kind of oblong, made out of copper. Looks like maybe you put a candle in the bottom. The and yeah. yeah, yeah. This uh, this was used to to check the gravity and temperature of your oil. Put, okay. Put an oil sample in there. Okay. You fill the little container. Uh huh. That has a thermometer going down in it. And what's in what's in here? Oh, that's is that a wick? That that's a wick. Uh huh. Okay. To to wick oil up into the to the sample pot, and uh, this would check the the gravity and temperature of the oil. And using that with your three-tenths of 1% BS&W, um, then you got your your uh, your grade of oil, how, okay. how good of oil it is. Whether it's the light or the heavy. Or... Light and heavy, and uh, the, uh, <coughs> the API, API gravity of it is, is what it's called. Um, we're producing about a 42-gravity oil out here right now. And uh, 42 gravity is, is real good. I mean, okay. it, uh, the stuff we produce here um, is the premium stuff. It's not just pure oil. I mean, it's got all the good stuff in it that they make plastics and styrofoams and, and all these byproducts out of um, your uh, para paraffin 
candles, wax candles come from the oil. Out, out now that's the, something that people don't realize. When they, they start getting onto right? this green kick, uh -huh. they, and they want to get rid of all the oil, they don't realize that they're going to be missing out on their candles, on their... Uh, on their plastics. Yep. Their computers are not going to be manufactured they, they will, anymore. You they will. are not going to have anything because everything is made from oil in some form yeah. or another. Yeah, you won't have your fiberglass blades on for your wind turbines. You won't have a solar panel. It's mostly made out of oil. The just the insulation around the wire is made out of oil. Right. And uh, their computers that they sit there and, and worship and all that kind of stuff. You will not have a computer without oil. It's, it's it's making everything go that, that we have it's, as far as luxuries at this point in time. And I don't know what they think they're going to replace it yeah, with. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, go back to beef tallow candles, I guess. You know, Those actually burn quite nice. but <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It, as long as it's not an old bull, they kind of smell a little bad, you know, when they... Well, but they do work. They do work. Yeah, <clears throat> but we, we can all live in caves and burn our beef tallow candles and and uh, uh, eat, our, eat our jackrabbits. And, right. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, now you got a, some a, a box over here that has several different core samples. Yeah, these these are the the cores of the uh, sand producing formations out here, and this is the one that we primarily produce out of the second wall creek sand. And as you can see, I mean that's solid rock, right? And we're producing eleven thousand barrels of oil a day out of that solid. It's rock. seeping out of that solid yeah. rock. Uh huh. Yeah. Now, are they doing fracking in these fields, or we, are they we, just doing the pumping of the air into them? We do frack some out here. Yep. Okay. Yep. We call them baby fracks, so it only takes them like 15 minutes to frack a well out here because they're so shallow. Mm -hmm. they, they can't really run high, super high pressures because, it, I mean, it'd just lift the ground up if, if they went wow. very high. Mm -hmm. And uh, But, uh, yeah, they, they frack this, and, and it would crack this rock. Okay, right. And, and let, the, let the oil seep into those cracks and then run into the well bores. But it's amazing that oil would come out of something that hard. Exactly, yeah. And just keep seeping out. Yeah, for 100 years. For 100 years. Yeah, for 100 years. Wow. And, uh, wow. You, you know, when they discovered this field, they figured it'd be done in 20 years. They'd have all the oil and have to leave. Really? And uh, so they did that for a while, and then it just kept producing and producing. And then uh, in 1960... Uh, they started uh, water injection, where they were injecting water into the ground to pressurize the formation again and to push oil from an injection well through this rock to a producing well. And uh, and that really gave us a real big boost in, in production. Um, it got down to where uh, in 2004, we were only making 3,500 barrels of oil a day out here. And then Anadarko bought the field. And uh, then they started CO2 injection jumped it up to 15,000 barrels of oil a day. Wow. And, and we're at 11,000, uh, hitting 11,500 a day now. So, I mean, you know, 20, 20 years from 1908, is they figured it'd be dead. and uh, Still and, getting oil. Yeah, and yeah. Anadarko figured... See, see, most projects like that, particularly oil field projects, uh, when they go into something, they forecast over 20 years because that's just about as long as it's going to last. Well, Anadarko took this step out when they uh, did the CO2 project, and they said it's going to last for 40 years. So, I mean, 40-year life of, of this project. So I want to see how long it really, really goes. Is wow. it going to go 60 years or 100 years more? Mm -hmm. And then, then what's, what's after that? After we've gone through primary recovery, 
um, and then they steam flooded, or excuse me, uh, gas, they injected gas into the ground to pressurize the formation. Then they did water, and now they're doing CO2. Okay, so what's the next big, big thing that is going to make this field last another 40 years? Well, see, in over in Grable, they had a shallow well there, <clears throat> and they had a company come in that dug a mine underneath the formation, mm -hmm. and they were allowing that oil to drip down into uh -huh. the mine, and they were recovering that way. Now, I know that they're not doing that anymore, so uh -huh. it must not have been super successful, but I think they had six or seven different uh, oil field mines uh -huh. in the uh, Wyoming, South Dakota area, right. if I remember yeah. right. Yeah, I, I believe the uh, the oil field mine, the oil mine up in between here and KC is still operating. Is it? Yeah, I, I believe it is, and, and that's us uh, in the Sundance Formation. Okay. Making Sundance oil. We produce... That's an interesting concept to me. It is, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. You walk under the, underneath it and rains oil on top of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We produce Sundance oil here, also, and uh, we're producing from seven formations right now. And uh, Sundance oil um, is diesel fuel. Okay. Uh, one of our engineers uh, back before Anadarko bought the place, um, the, he had a, a diesel pickup, and he said he wanted fifty gallons of Sundance oil. So we went and gathered him up 50 gallons of Sundance oil, and he poured it in his truck and drove away. He said it smoked a little more than usual and didn't quite have the power that, you know, pump fuel had. But straight oil. But straight Sundance oil was is diesel. Yeah. Wow. And, and there's some uh, oil wells to the east of us out here that you can just drive your car up to and fill them up. It, really? It's that pure. But you better add some coloring, otherwise they'll give you a ticket. That's right. <laughs> That's right. So, wow. Just so much stuff to see here. Old fire hydrants. We were just talking about these. Yeah? The old fire extinguisher fire balls. Yeah, the fire yeah. bombs. Uh -huh. What all do you know about those? Um, you know, over in Tensleep, uh, my, my grandfather had the Green Tea Garage, a Texco station. And he had those lined up all through the garage and in their house and everything like that. And uh, I, I actually watched him use it one time. He, he caught a school bus on fire. And uh, so he threw it at that. And then we all ran outside and shut the door and went back in a little while later. The fire was out. And, and, uh, and what we're talking about here is there's a, there's a bracket that hangs on the wall. And there's a ball that's about four inches in diameter with a little knob that comes down on the bottom. Looks like maybe a maraca or what do they call those <laughs> little instruments that have the little shaky things yeah. in it. Looks a little bit like a stubby one of those. And it's got a liquid in it. What was the liquid called? Do you remember, Linda? Carbon tetrachloride. Carbon tetrachloride. Yeah. And what it did is it sucked the oxygen out of the air. And they were quite common in the 20s, 30s, maybe even mm. into the 40s. And I've been mm. into a few different houses. I'm a flooring installer. Oh. And I've been into a couple of basements and different places where I've seen these things. Really? But they were, but they were outlawed uh -huh. because they sucked the oxygen out. And if you stood inside of the building, instead of running out and closing the door, like you said, it sucks all the oxygen out and you aren't breathing yeah. anymore. Yeah. Carbon tet is, is uh, uh, a real cancer agent, too. And so, so they just, uh, somebody told me the other day that they're starting to make things like that again. They just don't have carbon tet in them. I, somebody tried to sell us some fire extinguishers uh, well, 10, 15 years ago that were made with halon. Halon, uh-huh. And they said that halon took the oxygen yeah, out that's also. Right. 
and that they were really effective. But uh-huh. I, that was just one guy trying to sell them, and I haven't seen any halon fire extinguisher yeah. since. I don't know if they ever took off or not. But. Yeah, you'll you'll find halon in uh, particularly in uh, uh, the tech industry because the halon doesn't affect the computers and stuff like that where a okay. typical fire extinguisher agent does. And so the so the halon is is used in those those areas. Uh huh. Okay. Oh wow! I've never seen those either. Jerk and perk poles. <laughs> yeah. Found on the Oregon Trail in 1995, and these must have been for oxen. The, these were for the wagon trains. Yep. Yeah. Um, I and it's a it's a post that's what about eight ten foot long uh-huh. with a hook on one end, and uh, I guess it's got a hook on both ends. Uh huh. And what were those used for? Do you know? Well, yeah, they they were um, in this picture I have out here in the main room. Um, yep. Uh, on the jerk line teams. Oh, uh, they you know you had had the so your, these were for horses, not yeah, they, for. Well, they they used them on auction also. Okay. Uh, but any you know any any, any string team like that, and. Uh, and and when he's talking about a team, he's got a pitcher here. I'll bet it's got the forty horses or forty mules. Yes, Are they hauling oil? It looks like I, it's just got a, a sheep wagon yeah, in the back. Uh, but they're they're actually hauling uh, some engines and stuff on here. And then the sheep wagon in the back was was for the teamsters to uh, eat and sleep in on the way from Casper to here because it'd take them three or four days to get here. Are all those horses, or is there a couple of oxen in the back with big horns? Um, no, it's really hard to yeah, see. They're, they're just horses. These, okay. these two big whites are the wheel horses. Okay. They're the horses right, right in front of the wheels oh, of the okay. of the wagon. As you can see the wheel of the wagon yeah. right there. Right. And uh, these were draft horses. Uh, the rest of these were just typical horses, but these two and these two were the most trained horses in the string, and. Uh, what they would do is, uh, if they had some young horses or uh, they just brought some uh, Mustangs off the range or something like that, they would put them beside one of these uh, older horses that had been pulling for a while. And so that the horse that it was beside would keep the new one in line, teach him how to pull. Right. The one in the front and behind him would do the same thing. Mm-hmm. The one behind him, if he wasn't, if this new horse wasn't pulling his weight, he'd just reach up and bite him. Really? Or the one in front, oh if gosh. he if he was messing around and jerking the, the harnesses and stuff, he'd just reach back and kick him. It just made life miserable for everybody and, and, if they yep, weren't all pulling together. Got him shaped up, yeah. Yep. My, You've my, got a couple of really neat horse team pictures here. Yeah. This, this one right up above it. Again, has a sheep wagon in the back and a big piece of machinery. Yeah, that's a and a bunch of pipe. Yeah, that's a star drilling machine. Okay, and uh, and that, that was a brand name of a of a drilling machine. And uh, the pipe on the back is their drill pipe, right? And everything like that. And uh, you can't see it in here, but there's another wagon. Okay, yeah, here. I can kind and, of see it. And he's he's pulling the boiler because they were all steam engines then, and he's pulling the boiler. And uh, uh, bringing it along so that they can uh, drill a well. Wow! And and again, the sheep wagon was for the uh, for the workers to sleep and cook in. Mm-hmm. Wow! Yeah, this is just cool. Yeah, and this and, is a this is a map of the field and the major camps in it, and of course Midwest right here in the middle. Right. And uh, these these are the bigger camps. 
Lewis camp was a, was a large one uh, over here's a Canadian camp. Um, down here's the town of Columbine that I talked okay, about earlier. Right, right. And uh, out of, outside of the field of Salt Creek, outside of the field was five tribes, Edgerton and Hollywood. And to live in one of these camps, you had to work for that company. If you didn't work for that any of the oil companies, if you were a contractor or or something like that, you had to live in one of these outlying towns. Okay. And uh, uh, down at uh, Salt Creek, uh, there was also a town down there called Schneiderville, and Schneiderville was the uh, party town. Had, okay. Uh, had uh, dance halls and saloons and that type of thing in it, and uh, the field was a dry field. You couldn't have alcohol in the field. But Salt Creek, uh, Schneiderville, Lavoie, uh, Hollywood, and Edgerton, uh, five tribes, not so much, but uh, Hollywood is also a uh, uh, where the dance halls were. Okay. You know, and uh, houses of ill repute and that type of thing. And uh, I, I own Hollywood now. That's where I keep Oh, my... you went and bought all the houses of ill repute. I see how that works. <laughs> <laughs> That, that's where I keep my miniature herd of miniature cattle. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. But uh, wow. anyway, uh, throughout the field, um, in 1927, Midwest alone had 17,000 people living in it. What? And in the entire field, there was 59,000 people. So the population of Casper lived here. Yeah, in in five. And now there's and now there's a population of what? Four hundred. Four hundred in the yeah. whole field. Yeah, yeah. Between Midwest wow. and Edgerton, I think we're close to five hundred. But uh, yeah, you know. See, and so, I've always wondered, Wyoming has their license plates listed by population, and I would have thought always that Cheyenne would have been number one. Uh huh. But Casper is number one, or Natrona County. Natrona County. Uh -huh. And now I see why that would be because. Yeah. Even though Casper and Natrona County is not bigger than what Cheyenne and, and that, it's Albany County, Al correct? Uh, Laramie. No, Laramie County. Uh -huh. Okay, I get confused yeah. because Laramie's in Albany yeah. County. Exactly. Right. Yep. But uh, I've always thought it's really weird that, that uh, Natrona County has the number one on their license plate uh -huh. when they should be a lot smaller yeah. than Cheyenne. Yeah. Uh -huh. But when they were doing all that, if you had 59,000 people just in this camp along with the what is there, 50,000, 60,000 people in Casper? Yeah, uh, there is now. Um, at, at that time, there was only a couple thousand. Really? Yeah. So Casper was the baby town. Yeah, Casper was the baby town then, yeah. uh-huh. Even um, though it's known as the oil city. Yeah. Uh, the, at, at that time, they were building the refineries, the big refineries. The railroad was there and that type of stuff. You know, So it was growing pretty hard. But it, it had nothing close to the population of, of this oil field. That's just mind-boggling. Yeah. yeah what, when is. you're driving here mm -hmm. and, and you're seeing what's here versus... Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. It's just it, it's fascinating. It, it is. Yeah. It, it surely is. But you have towns like Encampment and some of the other towns mm -hmm. that, you know, when the, oil, when the uh, copper was going big, uh -huh. they had lots and lots of people there, too. Yeah. And now it's got 400, 500 people. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah, the Hannah Elk Mountain area, you know, with the coal mines and everything. Right. And, yeah, Hannah, and, yeah, uh -huh. same thing. And, yep. and, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, and, and that's some pictures of the, of the camps that I was talking about. Uh, okay. This was Dutch camp. It was the first camp, and interesting enough, it was the last camp. It was the last okay. one to be torn down, and it, it was right on the edge of town over here. 
In fact, you can see Midwest back there in the okay. back. Okay. That's Midwest up there. And you've got all kinds of oil rigs and stuff running right in town. Right in town, yeah. Wow. Yeah, there's there's one right there. It looks like they're drilling right in people's backyards. Exactly, yep. Yeah, there's one one right there just across the street in that lot right okay. there where that trailer house is. Wow. And there's one right on this side of the building, too. I uh, mean, right here in town. And it's working? Uh, no, they're, they're plugged now. Oh. Uh-huh. They're plugged now. But... Uh, <laughs> yeah, you've got some really cool pictures yeah. in here. This, this old gentleman up here is the one who started the whole thing. Uh, his name is Cy Iba, and uh, he was a gold prospector. And he was headed to California in 1849 to uh, uh, go out there, you know, and get him some gold and get rich. And and as he came through Casper on the Oregon Trail, he heard about oil seeps up here. So we come up and take a look. Now, when you talk about oil seeps, you're talking about oil on top of the ground. Exactly. Oil just bubbling up out of the ground. And they used to bring their wagons by and grease the wheels grease and the all wheels. that. Grease the wheels, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's yeah. an oil field called Bonanza that I think was the same type of uh -huh. thing over over in the Bighorn Basin. Right. Yep. Yep. And then down by Lander down there uh, was was the big one also. Okay. Down on the Paposia. Okay. There. Yeah. Yeah. But Cy Ibe is the one that... Uh, he, he came back then in uh, 1895 and started making claims out here. And just northwest of town out here was what's called Jackass Springs. And uh, Jackass Springs was an oil spring, uh, just oil just coming out of the ground. Well, he, he laid claim to that. In fact, through the years, he laid claim to most of the field and then pretty much lost everything through uh, litigation, sold some of it, uh, you know, just lost some of it. Uh, didn't keep his his uh, leases up and that type of thing, but he kept the eighty acres up there, and it's still called the Iba eighty, and the Iba eighty is the richest eighty acres in the United States. Really, more money's been made off of that eighty acres than any other eighty acres in the United States. And, wow, uh, uh, he he died before the real boom happened out here in the twenties. I was going to say, did he, he know what he was? He knew what he was. He knew what was going on. He knew what the potential was. And that's why he was trying to lay claim to smudge out here and uh, why he was fought so hard. He, I mean, he died a pauper because of lawyers. Wow. Um, trying to, to, to fight and retain all this. Uh, but they did retain the 80 acres. He died a pauper. Um, Mrs. Iba uh, died a millionaires. Wow. Uh, she died in, uh, I believe, in 1937. And uh, she was a, a uh, His Mr. Iba's great-great-granddaughter stopped by here a few years ago, and I was talking to her. Really interesting. Uh, she said, in that picture, one of them's missing. The, the black sheep of the family isn't in there. He's never listed anywhere or anything like that, but there's another one. Really? There's another son. Really? And, uh, but she, she still, of course, has mineral rights in the Iba 80. Of course, it's been spread out through the years, you know, and everybody gets a little piece of it and stuff. And uh, her husband asked me, well, what happened, you know, 10 years ago that our royalty checks went from $200 a month to $2,000 a month? And I said, well, when did that happen? Well, in 2006. Oh, yeah, that's when CO2 flood happened and we tripled or by five times right. the production out here. Mm -hmm. And uh, so anyway, she was real interesting to talk to, talking about the family and everything like that. It, I'll bet it was. It, it was real interesting. Huh. This museum is just absolutely fascinating. You've got so many things here that are oil related along with so many things that aren't oil related. Right. And it's just it's just such a neat mixture and it's 
it's open. It's one. It's, it's almost more like going to an antique store. Yeah, I love going to antique stores because you can get up close and personal to the stuff. Get up and touch it and, and touch uh-huh. it and stuff. And and I don't know that I really want to touch anything here, but it's it's where you can bend over and look at it. It's not just all in a case. Right. Right. Uh, and and this is just super that you came down and yeah and opened this up for us. This yeah. is I had no idea this was here. Uh huh. Yeah. And this this building was built as nurses' housing. Okay. Um, the town hall and everything there to the south of us, that big long building, was a hospital built by the Midwest Oil Company. And it was okay. a premier hospital in the region, and so they built this for the nurses to live in. There was eight nurses lived in this building. I was wondering why it was so divided up yeah. room-wise. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, and uh, there's been some walls taken out and everything to make the, the bigger rooms. But uh, then when the uh, hospital couldn't make it anymore, the oil company took that building over as offices, and they moved a medical clinic over here. And then this was a medical clinic up until 1992. Which explains... The room that we're entering right now. Exactly. Yep. You've got a, a barber shop, it looks like, a small yeah. b- a barber chair and a sink. Yeah, this is old Harry O'Connor's barber shop over in Edgerton. And this was Doc Scheidler. Uh, he was a dentist. Okay. Uh, that, that's his chair and everything. You've got an old chair and yeah. the sink. And Doc Scheidler and his wife, Lucille. Okay. And and this was Doc Scheidler's tool kit, tool cabinet. Okay. And th- we're looking at an oak. I think it's oak. Yep. Uh, cabinet that oh man, it opens up and has fifteen drawers for all his little tools. Uh, really nice hinges on it. A couple of other drawers, a mirror. Uh, there there must be for drawers. Uh, mm-hmm. Like in a, oh man, he just pulled out a little drawer that has ten little tiny compartments that. Maybe he put teeth in there. Or Maybe I, I don't just, know. They're they're uh-huh. only like two inches by two inches, and the drawers only uh, twelve inches, ten, ten, ten inches, inches. Uh-huh. Uh, and maybe two inches uh, high, and, and goes back in. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, ten inches or twelve inches. Tons of little compartments, and these cabinets. The the edge of this cabinet, like a dresser cabinet, it's it's kind of tall, but the Corners of it open up to where you can hang things. Boy, this is just a fascinating cabinet. Yeah. Somebody was very talented woodworking-wise in order to make this. Yeah. Really talented. Hey, Linda, come here and take a look at this cabinet. <laughs> as long as he's opening it and, and showing it, you need to come see this. And no, I won't buy one for you. I don't think I don't think I could afford... Yeah. What what a cabinet like this would cost. Well, look at this. Look at the way that that opens. Oh, that's neat. And then we'll have pictures of this thing posted on the Facebook page so that you can see some of the work with this, uh, the craftsmanship with this cabinet. This thing is just amazing. Yeah. Does this table pull out? Yes, it does. This... Oh, isn't that cool? Yeah, that's neat. Yep. This is just amazing. I don't think I've ever seen an antique cabinet like this. No, me either. Did you see the little compartments in like this drawer? Look at that. Just really, really interesting. Just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then did you see the little tool compartments like in this one? Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. 
Look at the hinges, wow. though. The hinges, uh, the yeah, hinges are so ornate. Oh, yeah. yeah, those are beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, and the the mirror oh, opens oh, for more. Oh, look at that. Wow. How fun. Okay, so I'm assuming that the dentist did not have any memory problems because if I had a cabinet like that, I wouldn't know where anything was. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Too many holes and, yeah. and places yeah, to hide nice. stuff. Yeah. Wow. And, and over in Edgerton... Uh, Harry O'Connor's barber shop and Doc Shiler's dentist shop were dentist office were right next to each other, and uh, as the years went on, you know they they got to be my age now and uh, stuff like that, and uh, they just didn't do a lot. And, but if you needed a haircut or if you're having trouble with your tooth, we just go next door to the bar and get them out of there. They, they, <laughs> uh, they now, were working on their anesthesia. Yeah. Well, now, now Doc Scheidler didn't drink though, okay. uh, but Harry O'Connor would, would tip a few. And so, if you went to get a haircut and you got him out of the bar, you don't really know what kind of a haircut you was going to get. get. Uh, Doc Scheidler was always pretty good, but uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then you've got a couple of the old wooden big wheel. Uh-huh. Uh, Wheelchairs here, an old hospital bed, uh, bed pans, water uh, pitchers, pitchers, and uh-huh. all of that kind of stuff. Just yeah. like what a nineteen—I'm assuming about a nineteen thirties, nineteen forty, nineteen thirty-seven—is is the okay. age of that bed. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, this yeah. is really cool. <clears throat> yeah, this was the maternity ward uh, when this was a, a clinic. Okay. Uh, I know two guys that were born in this room. Really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. One of them still lives out here just wow. north of town a ways. Uh-huh. That's awesome. Then yeah. we come on over to this other side. You've got a potty chair and uh, all kinds of crutches. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Scale. Yeah. This. What was this, the operating this, room? This was, uh, yeah, the exam and, and surgery room. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yep, you've, this, got a, you've got a table here that... Does not look like it'd be co- yeah. comfortable at all. Solid steel, and and uh, yeah. Then I'd say that this must have had something to do with maternity ward too. Yeah, uh-huh. it has a, a set has of stirrups for right. for the legs. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> yep, that's right. And then what is that thing called? I can't um, remember. It, it's a heat chamber. Yeah, for sterilizing tools. Uh, Autoclave. Oh yep. boy, I'm glad somebody came yep. up with that because I wouldn't have. Yep, me too. I was drawing a blank. I was just drawing a blank. Yeah, yep, that's the autoclave. And that's got to be like a 1940s model. It looks 1930s like a 30s model. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And a, a cot. And what in the world is this thing? It, those are those are uh, traction bars. Oh, for uh, these these have. Uh, Wire, uh, like quarter-inch wire stock that comes down into a round leather deal. The wire stock's about three foot long, so uh-huh. that must have fit around your, your this thigh, thigh. Uh-huh. around your this, thigh and around your yeah. foot. This this was for a child to, to pull traction on a leg. Okay. And, and uh, you... This would attach around with belts around your hips and everything like that, and then you'd tie your foot to here and pull traction on it. Well, that just had to be comfortable. Oh, yeah, nothing. Yeah, and then this one here was for for an adult, of course. You know. Wow. Uh huh. This old medical stuff is just scary. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. old leg braces that are just 
have it's actually fairly thick iron or not iron but tin and uh-huh and doesn't look anything like the comfort that people have nowadays that's right along with a lot of old medicine cabinets up there in the our medicine bottles and stuff in the yeah. medicine cabinet you got your wow official government snake bite kit oh, Ooh. Yeah, that's cool is that got the little suction cup and all it, that stuff it in it or wow right there yeah, and they say that suctioning is not the way to do things now. Yeah. But uh, I guess the government said it was at one point. Yeah, at one you point. got a little tourniquet. Yeah, mm-hmm. got a tourniquet and some uh, grease. In- inhalants. Oh. Uh-huh. And I would assume that rattlesnakes were probably an issue out here. Yeah. They they were, they are. Mm-hmm. Yep, you bet. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that the type of, oh, yeah. Oh, wow. You've got a box of rattles here. That one's got what? 15 buttons? Yeah. Wow. I got this in over... That's about three inches long. Two over, inches long. That's a yeah. big one. Yeah. Got this in over at the homestead. The geese had it co- 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 surrounded. Oh, until, really? Until I got there, and then, then they backed off and let me take care of him. Wow. Yeah. Huh. Oh, there's a... Now, these are the prairie rattlers. These are so prairie So they rattlers. don't really get much over three three feet. Yeah. And three that's and a, a half feet. That, that's a big one. That is that's, a big one. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. Exciting days. Oh, man. Oh, now, the sink is interesting because did did you have to pump? There's two little pedals oh. down here on the floor. Oh. One of them runs hot water and the other one runs cold. And that must have been so you didn't have to touch you the didn't handles. You didn't have to touch it while you were washing your hands well, you're, when you were going to do surgery and stuff. Now, are they, oh. they still doing this in hospitals or is this just kind of a I, fluke thing with this one? I don't know. And it still works. It still works, yeah. That's neat. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah, you can just push down with your foot on the hot or the cold and wash your hands and not have to touch anything before yep. surgery. Yep, that's right. That's neat. Yeah. That is that is really interesting. Uh-huh. I kind of like that. Yeah. How fun is that? Huh. And then we come back here to this room. This is the school room. The school room. You've got pictures of the football team in 1925. The first ever night football game in the United States. First ever night, and that's because you had your own electrical power. Exactly, yeah. And yep. you were able to, did they have lights all through the field too, or um, yeah. just on the football field? Uh, just on the football field mostly. Uh, they had some lights around like their plants and stuff like that, but it, it's kind of a uh, crooked thing that the Midwest Oil Company did when they lit the football field, because back in those days in the 20s, <coughs> the work schedule was just can to just can't. When you can just see, you go to work. And when you just can't see anymore, you went home. Well, the guys that were working out there had boys playing football. And they wanted to go see the boy, watch the boys play football. The oil company didn't want to let half the guys go right. watch a football game. So, okay, so, well, when nobody else is working, we'll light the football field so you can go watch your boys play football. Isn't that cool? Yeah. I wonder how the other schools coming from Casper or other places felt about playing at night. It was probably a pretty neat experience for them. Yeah, uh, Midwest played Casper, the first ever lighted football game. And that uh, was first lighted in the nation? In the nation. In the uh, nation. Some people say nation, some people say west of the Mississippi. Uh, there's still some arguments about that. I go with nation. And uh, You know, it's just so cool that, that these towns had so much going for them. Mm-hmm. And we were just talking about that earlier, Basin, where we're from. Uh-huh. It was the it was the county seat 
for all of the Bighorn Basin at one time. Uh -huh. Cody and and now there's five counties there. Right. But they had they were one of the first places in either the state or the nation to have gas lights uh -huh. for all of the houses. Uh huh. Uh, they had. Uh, alfalfa palace that they packed up and took to the state fair in Douglas like in 1910 by rail. Yeah. I mean, these towns had things going for yeah, that's them. That's right. Yeah. And now, uh -huh. it just, it, 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 it's so sad to see where we are. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we all have our, our technology, our cell phone, and our television, but we don't have a community. Right. Exactly. The community's gone. Yep. Yep, exactly. Yeah, like uh, the town of Midwest... Um, the Midwest Oil Company, of course, provided the housing, but they provided heat for the house with with a, uh, a steam generating plant here in town. Okay. Uh, they provided electricity, of course. They owned the, the power plant. Right. And uh, and they provided water from the hot water well to water your yards with and everything like that. Everything was provided. The interior house was painted one year. The next year, the exterior of the house was painted by the oil company. Everything was taken care of for them. Wow. And, yeah. And uh, as you can see, in 1925, just the Midwest grade school had 1,040 students. The Midwest grade school. Just the grade school. That's not counting the high school. And, and we're then, looking at a picture in front of the high school that looks kind of like it may have been taken with a bit of a fisheye lens. Uh-huh. And there is a herd of kids. I mean, yeah, well, a, over 1,000. 1,040 kids there. Yeah. Just. And, and that's not counting the school at Salt Creek uh, or... Uh, there were some other small schools. Uh, Canadian Camp had a small school. Lewis Camp had one, and uh, you know, so. Wow. Uh, That's amazing. But you know, if there's fifty nine thousand people out here, uh, figure half of them were kids. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. you know? Especially if they're pushing for for families uh -huh. to come out and yeah, some of that type of stuff. Yep, exactly. This is just amazing. Yeah, just absolutely amazing. So, are we missing anything? You know, I think we've kind of covered the museum. Kind of, it seems like we've hit all the all the places. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, this is... I, I had no idea, Everett. I just had absolutely no idea that this place existed. I, I am just totally stunned. I have learned so much. Because I really... Uh, I'm not in the oil industry. Uh -huh. I just don't know a lot about it. Yeah. You've explained so much. Uh-huh. And... Anybody that's coming this direction and passes up this museum is really missing out. Mm -hmm. I have just, I've just been fascinated with you. I've been fascinated with the museum. When this comes out, we will have pictures on Facebook so that people can take a look at, at some of what's going on. I don't want to give it all away with <laughs> pictures. I want you guys to come see this because this is, this is just a wonderful museum. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that when people show up here, you're here to take them through? You bet. I, I'll do guided tours or I'll let you wander and answer questions if you yell one out. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty easy that way. And easy as far as getting a hold of and showing up here to, uh -huh. to take care of this. Yeah. I mean, we're now pushing 7 o'clock. We've been here for an hour um, and 15 have, minutes yeah. or so. Yeah. And I have just been enjoying the heck out of this museum and enjoying the heck out of the visit with you. So anyway, I do appreciate your time. Again, you have a website? We do not have a website. I'm working on getting it up. Okay. Yeah. So as far as contact, just look up Salt Creek 
Museum? Yeah, Salt Creek Oil Field Museum or Town of Midwest. Town of Midwest will have it listed too. They'll have it listed also, yeah. Okay. Uh -huh. And he's got books here about the oil field that are here to purchase. This has just been absolutely wonderful, and I so appreciate your time. Well, I sure appreciate you coming by. This has been fun. It has been. I've yeah. really enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, me too. So... Yeah. I usually finish up with a statement that the world is full of wonder and people need to get out and explore. It's, See what's out here. Enjoy what's out here. That's right. And the past is just as interesting as the present. Uh -huh. And everybody have an absolutely wonder-filled day. All the road and go. Where am I to go? Meet Johnny. Where am I to go? For I'm a young and a sailor lad, and where am I to go?